0: Hello and welcome to Pen Paper ETC, the podcast about arts, culture, writing, music, apparently pro wrestling, video games, and whatever else comes to my mind. My name is Matt, and uh, today we're going to do a little bit of a swerve from my last topic, which I may or may not have published because I was too embarrassed, um... It was about pro wrestling video games in the 90s and 2000s anyway uh, but today I want to talk about something a little different um, the rise and fall of the kinfolk aesthetic and uh, maybe as a side topic um, what was the name of that app that I used uh, whatever anyway okay maybe no side topic rise and fall of the Kinfolk aesthetic so um, if you're not familiar Kinfolk was a magazine that came out in the early 2010s and uh, yeah okay I'm just gonna leave it at that Kinfolk was a magazine that came out in the early 2010 and just, oh gosh just just bear with me please Unprofessional podcasting yay um, yeah it came out in the early 2010s and it came kind of at the crest of a rise in the hipster aesthetic or not exactly a rise in the hipster aesthetic um, cause that had been going on for forever in a day but what, what was happening at least where, where I lived um, you know as millennials got older um, started you know getting um, the ones lucky enough to be in positions where they could uh, afford to buy things for lack of a better way to describe it um, they started cultivating a certain aesthetic You probably know what I'm talking about if you've ever seen geometric tattoos. Not shitting on geometric tattoos. I hope I get one someday. (laughs) Um, But designer coffee shops, geometric tattoos, uh, and kind of a pared down uh, feel and look to everything. Lots of wide open spaces, uh, reclaimed wood tables... Maybe some, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like, this is where avocado toast first came from. Um, I don't have a term for it. I, I think that's probably okay. Um, bougie hipster, maybe. Um, I don't want to turn this into uh, hipster class warfare. Uh, one because hey, I, I come from it, um, and B. What is B? I forgot what B was. Shit! Wow, this is a a cluster of a podcast. Uh, I want to come at it. I don't have a problem with like deconstructing all of the, all of the numerous problems of that whole movement, and of course the incredibly uh, uh, toxic uh, what am I looking for? Oh my gosh. Do I need to just start again? No. The toxic effects of gentrification on neighborhoods, all of these things kind of that came with it, I I think do actually need to be looked at and analyzed most definitely. So that's good. Uh, But for this podcast, um, I just want to take, from a design standpoint, a look at this aesthetic. And maybe, maybe it will. Uh, maybe we can branch it into some social criticism. But, um, oh, keep on trucking, keep on trucking, keep on trucking. Um, there's something about it. And maybe what I'm trying to say is, I, I want to maybe open it up and explore it a little bit and find what, what was actually happening there with all of those, um, nicely placed Instagram friendly photos and, uh, you know, heart lattes and what, what was going on with that? Why did it happen in the first place? And Was the aesthetic itself a good or a bad thing? Yeah, okay. Wow, that was a mouthful. Uh, So, without further ado, let's get into it. And again, I'm not researching this. I'm just doing it for fun and to (laughs) calm my anxiety. Because it helps to, you know, just talk about a subject. I'm not aiming for professionalism. Uh... These views are solely my own, blah blah blah. Uh, okay. So alright, so let's let's look at what caused this aesthetic to emerge. And I think like I mentioned, it probably has most of its roots in the early hipster movement. And if I say something like hipster movement, I'm sure people will roll their eyes. I even roll my eyes a little bit when I say that because it wasn't so much a movement at all, uh, more like it was a marketing aesthetic kind of labeled onto um, young, upwardly mobile white kids who came from privileged backgrounds. You know, this is the same thing that happens with, um, any generation, you know, you have generation Y or, you know, like now known as Gen Z or no, no, no. is it Gen Y anymore? I don't know. Uh, you know, we are millennials. We all like SpongeBob. We all blah, 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 blah. You know, you have these cultural aesthetics that supposedly define a generation, but they really don't. It's just, uh, the cultural aesthetics of a certain few people, you know, um, there are things that kind of bind us together, but do we all have the hallmarks of every generation? No, no, heck no. Um, so anyway, (laughs) um, that being said, you know, the, the label came later and the sort of the rise in negativity and everything, um. So let me start with that first. The the negativity, one of the, and I'll I'll get to the kid folk aesthetic eventually. I promise. But I need to start with um, sort of the negativity of it. And for all intents and purposes, we are going to talk about hipsterism not as a movement, not as a group of people who stood for something or anything like that, because it wasn't. But um, some of the trends that were happening at that time. And I think for everything it's defined by, what's interesting, like, you can look back at some of these, you know, like, aesthetics, like um, the hippie aesthetic, you know, of course not everybody was hippie at the time either. But it was pretty easy to say that hippies quote-unquote... Stood for something. Uh, beats stood for something. Uh, even you know you take it back to the twenties uh, flappers. You know it was a it was a, a fashion. It was a style, but there was also an attitude that went with it. And what's unique about the hipsters is that it um, it's more defined by. As much as what it's defined by, like, um, thick designer glasses, mustaches on the boys, um, beanie hats, uh, thrift store clothes, as much, and of course, you know, the, the indie band that's so hot that only two people have heard of it, and, you know, if you're not one of those two people, well then, you know, too bad for you, all... um aside from all of those, it's as much defined by its negatives uh as its positives. So, like perfect example of this at the time, there was a website called Look at this fucking hipster dot com or something to that effect. I can't go back and look at it now. I did for the sake of nostalgia a little while ago, maybe a year or so ago. And it's cringe. I can't stand it because it's You know somewhat racist a little weird just just cringe cringe uh but what i really can't stand about it is just the the negativity and how you know that a lot of those people who cared enough to put on post content on a a site bashing hipsters probably had elements of that whole movement themselves um So let me back up. Look at this fucking hipster. It was a website where you could go... This was pre-Instagram. This was a site where you could go... Look at these stupid pictures of hipsters drinking PBR or, you know, snorting lines of cocaine or whatever. You know, it was uh, kind of like a... What is it? Kind of like the people of Walmart. You know, where you get this... sense of schadenfreude of like oh my gosh at least i'm not like this trendy poser wannabe whatever so yeah there was there was a lot of negativity around it uh another classic example is hipster brunch where you know you and your friends you go out to a uh, place to eat i mean this mostly brooklyn or you know SF or some of these places and um go out with your friends to eat and you just look at people and you stare at them and you judge them so there were just there were just these aspects of uh negativity all around and I think it's that core element that I never identified with never wanted to identify with it was in my opinion toxic um That being said, I loved certain parts of it. I loved um, how gender non-conforming it could be. That was pretty huge for me. Um, I do absolutely adore the music from uh, Grizzly Bear to Deer Hunter and uh, all of those. Even the early ones, Sufjan Stevens, uh, Bella Sebastian. There's just something very soft, gentle, uh, whimsical, I think, is a really good way to describe those bands. And even when I go back and listen to them now, it's not very hard to feel um, sort of nostalgic. There's a certain warmth about it. Um, when it comes to some of these aspects, I think... There was something about it that it was really easy to commercialize as like anybody who's ever been into a urban outfitters has, can attest to. It's like, you know, all of these things that started out as, you know, like, yeah, buy a shitty shirt from the thrift store and, you know, stick it to Abercrombie (laughs) um you know i'm gonna pay like i'm gonna pay five dollars for a shirt you you can go pay 40 for yours that's fine uh all these things that started out that way ended up getting pretty heavily commercialized um photography using cheap cameras blossomed into a huge industry of designer cameras um what am I trying to say? Designer cameras, apps. I mean of course that's where Instagram got its start, but also uh there were apps like Hipstomatic that will let you take uh whatever. <laughs> they are they're they're called pictures. Oh my gosh. Uh they let you take pictures photographs with um you know different filters and stuff like that. There was there was definitely a boom. Uh you know it's still cresting in some ways and it's not entirely negative you know kind of a resurgence of popularity of bicycles bicycle co-ops cooperatives in general um, interest in organic foods all of these things you know really good stuff but kind of cased in this weird shell of negativity but what I'd like to say before kind of getting into that kinfolk aesthetic is that it wasn't all bad and there was a lot of elements of sort of DIY because at least in my experience um, as uh, someone who went to high school in the early 2000s um, Like, a lot of it came out of kind of, I would say, like, a revolt against that mall aesthetic. You know, these were the last heydays of the malls, um, and we didn't really have it, the words for it at the time. Well, yeah, we did. I mean, it was like, for many of us in high school, you know, like... There was just something very off-putting about stores like Hollister, M. Um, Eagle, Abercrombie. There was just something about that look and the way the clothes were all insanely expensive, and uh, the way the music. I I touched about this in a, a little. Uh, Oh, I'm so sorry. I touched. i touched about this in an unpublished podcast about the sound of Nickelback. There was just something about that sound. Actually, I believe that Nickelback is responsible for the entire thing. Let's let's just call a spade a spade and say Nickelback caused this kind of massive. Uh, critical mass in terms of uh, musical resistance to the sound of overproduced, uh, mass media-friendly generic music. (laughs) People got sick of it, just like they did with punk in the 70s. Um, But the difference was we had our roots like if you were like that kind of kid, late '90s, early 2000s, um, and you wanted to get away, what was like at the time? It was Limp Bizkit and Corn, and all of these other, um, all these other bands, New Metal, basically, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, which, uh, again, I touched on previously. Like at that time. I hated them. They weren't hard to hate. It wasn't hard to hate Fred Durst or Kid Rock or any of the uh, Papa Roach. Like, if you were kind of immersed in that, it wasn't hard to to want something else. It wasn't hard to want to get out of that. And so we had, I guess, I, I lived in a kind of a bubble in its own way. I, I wasn't close to any indie music scenes or anything growing up. Uh, it was pretty like growing up in the south um, and going to a uh, private Christian school, we didn't really have access to um, I don't know, a lot of that stuff. Well, that's that's not necessarily true. But there wasn't a strong scene, and that—that was the allure of it, actually. You know, there there really wasn't. If you wanted to get into um, some of these indie bands, you really had to scrounge. It wasn't quite the astronomical thing that it would later become. Modest Mouse hadn't quite hit it yet um the let's see who else jimmy eat world was still maybe a few years behind um like a lot of these indie bands were there uh they just hadn't like you know made a huge splash yet so indie at this time was a very eclectic hodgepodge of different sounding bands you know, everything from, uh, I guess, you know, oof, what what can I say? Uh, you know, like, everything from the Lilith Fair, like, Fiona Apple, like, she wasn't exactly indie, but a lot of music that came out of that sound, uh, Ani DeFranco, a lot of that, and then you, you just had so many different, bands from this time you had uh of course the what is it the elephant collective i think is what it was called um out of athens georgia you had apples and stereo you had neutral milk hotel and all of those amazing bands Uh, but it was just very very diverse it was all over the place and in hip-hop as well you had a lot of um Independent hip hop starting to come out. This was like kind of the first, before Kanye really hit, there were like these waves of sort of quote unquote indie hip hop artists like Black Alicious and Dell, the Funky Homo Sapien, uh, who kind of pioneered a, a different sort of sound. And, yeah, later, pejoratively, like, you know, people call it white boy hip-hop or whatever. Uh, But, hey, it's undeniable that these musicians had huge, huge influence over... um, Gosh, what am I trying to say? Um, Like, each other, uh, hip-hop music in general, uh, Kanye... All of these are m f doom you know they all i mean i don 't know i don 't know about indie as a term how useful it is, but this sort of swamp of talent and culture it wasn 't really united in any one way or another, uh, but it was always kind of humming in the background um, you weren 't going to find it at a hot topic uh, you weren 't going to find it you know definitely not at the mall because it wasn't something that was marketable yet you found it through you know somebody who had a big brother or sister who knew somebody who like things just kind of passed around at that point it floated in the ether <laughs> i don't know i don't know the best way to describe that uh, but it was um, it was kind of magical. I think in doing this podcast, it's one of the things that I love to trace is like where are the roots of these things that come up now? Um, that you know, where, where do they come from? Where you know they don't just pop out of nowhere. How, how does it happen? And that's just sort of fascinating to me. So, yeah, so you had all these roots. All these different strands of culture, phenomena, interacting with each other, creating new things. And this was like, you know, like this was also, I think, in the wake of the rave scene, um, which... I was never a part of I was a little too young for that I was like was too young to rave and then like I got too old for the EDM scene when that popped off I mean really you're never old too old for it but you know whatever so out of that void out of the void that you know alternative rock left and everything else uh, this kind of some of it was folk, some of it was poppies, some of it was hip-hop. It was just, you know, it was everything. Um, y- oh, God, yeah, Fujis, shit. Um, anyway, anyway, anyway. <laughs> so all of this stuff was happening. And, you know, like, as high school students, a lot of us were just, you know, we didn't really have, like, a lot of money or anything. We just, like you know if you wanted to get a shirt you would just find a way to buy it you know you make your own shirt you just do stuff on your own and like more and more you know eventually these things got commodified um, I don't remember who the first one was uh, maybe it was dashboard confessional or maybe it was modest mouse uh, with float on Uh, Jimmy World all of these bands around the same time just started kind of blowing up it was like sound and then yeah you had the White Stripes the Strokes blah 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 Um, and it was like boom Um, indie became a thing and rather than you know just standing for independent labels like Matador who was just you know putting out weird stuff all the time it just became like a thing a style uh, or whatever it's indie and then and then eventually the, the term hipster kind of came along I don't remember exactly when I first heard it um, probably around the time I think it was probably in, for, for me it was about 04 05 you know again growing up in the south things got to us a little bit slower, um, but you know, we started noticing this kind of thing more and more, and it, it was like it was a vibe. It was it was easy to copy. It was easy to make beards and mustaches on the boys became more popular. Um, it was, yeah, it was just more noticeable. Pa- oh yeah, cans of Paps Blue Ribbon. <laughs> It uh, started to spread around. V-neck, T-shirts, all that. And I think even then, uh, there was kind of this weird retro nostalgic thing, you know, kind of a vibe for, I don't know, whatever it was, 70s clothing, 60s clothing. Um, a lot of it probably came in the aftermath of nine eleven too, I think, because... Hmm. Right after nine eleven you had some weird shit going on. Um as far as patriotism and things like that in the United States. There were just eagles everywhere, there were flags everywhere, um you know, just red, white, blue, this, that. Uh like if you like watched Fox News, they had this like you know like thing you know when they were talking about the Iraq war was just like eagle flying across the screen and shit was nuts you know people love to talk about now how we are in like the dark days of fascism but back then too people were crazy about stuff we just we didn't really realize it yet and i think a lot of it came as sort of a backlash to that that whole like you know that very jingoistic pro-America whatever Um, you know you had Michael Moore movies that eventually started coming out, Bowling for Columbine they had uh, books by Al Franken and you know this was sort of a a rise of a liberal cultural elite of that was like, look, you know, um, people are ruining everything with their wars for oil and money and, you know, corporations just fucking everything up. The movie The Corporation came out in the mid-2000s, which is a really, really good um, look at just how destructive corporate personhood can be. And this this was all pre Occupy, so you know, these are just the the seeds of, of what was happening at the time. But there was starting to like kind of build this this kind of consciousness of you know, wait, um what <laughs> uh, lost my train of thought. But again you know, what, what's going on with this? Um, but at the same time, the, um, the liberal wing, or, you know, you can just say whatever, the democratic wing, uh, started to kind of co-opt this as well. And these things sort of coalesced into a larger aesthetic. If you've ever been to a Whole Foods, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, just it's not just that you're buying food You're buying um, into a certain kind of culture, whether it's, you know, make your own blah, 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 um, you know, live in a carbon-neutral way. And I'm not disparaging any of that. I think it's good stuff. Of course, now we look at this and it's like, wait, this is just corporations passing the buck. But nonetheless, at the time... You know, it all kind of built into this kind of DIY aesthetic. You know, we've got to get away from this crazy mega-corporation drive SUVs down the eight-lane highway patriotic bullshit and, you know, strip down lives. So I think that sentiment was healthy initially. Uh, Eventually, it kind of turned into... uh, neo-urban gentrifying force that um, walled itself off in a lot of ways and I was part of that too I worked for Whole Foods for years and years and years Uh, so I got to see it kind of firsthand and how it affects uh, the world around me Uh, as this this whole thing was building you know you had like uh urban populations rising at the same time uh you had the wall street crash this was about 2008 and that was that was a really weird time because a lot of people lost their jobs a lot of people graduated the the mid and tail ends of gen y um were getting proper fucked by this situation um was impossible because you would graduate from school and then it's like hey oh no jobs um those boomer parents <laughs> uh that are supposed to be retiring and this happen happens worldwide um not just the boomer parents but the silent generation before them they don't retire they don't give up their jobs and the people that are supposed to move into those jobs don't have anything get into meanwhile they're specializing with all kinds of different degrees and which is exactly you know what we were raised to do from day one as children you know go for it live your passion um, all this stuff yada 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 and you know then you get thrown into this job market with um, no prospects at all so just to kind of tap into that angst a little bit Uh, but for those who were lucky enough whether it was through you know uh, privilege or uh, good jobs or whatever I wouldn't even say it's fortunate enough it's just what was happening at that time you know like population in cities boomed and for a little while the millennial generation was all about Living in the urban life because it was more compact, it was more public transportation friendly, it was getting away from that sort of individualistic, uh, you know, we can do it alone, um, kind of pull up the bootstraps America aesthetic. It was kind of building towards a more social America in a way. Um, then a lot of us started having kids, so. <laughs> That's that's another story. But at the time, at that time, yeah, like, cities were booming. And, of course, you had all the negative side effects with that. You had a lot of people displaced from their homes, a lot of, you know, property values rising. You had uh, not just Starbucks, but then, you know, every once in a while, people would try to run an independent coffee shop. And anybody who's ever tried or in a restaurant or any type of business like that knows how hard it is. And eventually these got consolidated into the, like, third wave coffee. Uh, But you had independent coffee shops. You had, um, I don't know, (laughs) uh, clothing stores, everything you can imagine. You know, for a time, people were finding ways to do it on their own. And this was also kind of in the wake of the financial crisis. You know, people uh, just finding new opportunities and this kind of being co influenced by Facebook, which at the time was not, no, I'm not going to say it was uh, benign. It definitely wasn't. I think I would argue a hot take that Facebook was contentious from the day it was introduced. Uh, like even as a college student I remember because I'm the same age as Zuck so like it's pretty easy for me to track when when things were happening with Facebook because as he was doing them I was kind of having you know those life experiences Facebook came out when I was either a sophomore or a junior in college and I remember going to a friend's house and uh, my friend was like, hey, check out this website. We were on winter break. It hadn't quite hit uh, my college yet. But my friend was like, hey, check out this website. You know, you can get on it and you could see all the people at school and what they're doing. And you put your pictures on it or whatever. And this wasn't exactly new. I mean, we had MySpace, so it wasn't... You know, it wasn't exactly, like, a huge surprise to me. But even then, I was like, why? Why Why would I want to do that? And I was a late adopter of it. Um, but, you know, it was divisive. At that time, you had the Facebook kids and you had the MySpace kids. Uh, Facebook kids were <laughs> a little bit more preppy uh it was you know it was a walled garden in that sense you know it like like, oh yeah it's so clean it's so easy to use um myspace was a shit show but it was a fun shit show Uh, looking back you know if i have any regrets maybe (laughs) i would have got a myspace account you know back when it was popping i mean it's not anymore or like you know if you weren't doing one of those two maybe you we were doing uh was it uh, zanga yeah i don't know anyway so yeah all like at that time like facebook hadn't consumed everything but it nonetheless my point was yeah if you were a myspace kid you hated those facebook kids nonetheless yeah so it was contentious even at that time but I guess my point, before going off on that ramble, was that these um, social media companies allow people to open up their own businesses, start doing things in different ways, having different kind of meetups, and all all kinds of stuff. I, I know I've been pretty curmudgeonly about it, but in those early days, you could do some pretty rad stuff with social media. So, like, all of this was kind of going on at the same time. And that, (laughs) that is the milieu that kinfolk emerged from. Right? So, what was happening was this this sort of indie hipster aesthetic was quote-unquote maturing. Uh, I would say it wasn't maturing, it was, you know, corporatifying. Um, as it always was as it was destined to be as a demographic targeting group of whatever just as a way of large companies to be able to access that coveted 24 to 36 year old market blah 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 18 to 24 blah 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 blah. Um, but as this was happening so the, the styles started to change like one of the really hipster favorites was Juno, the movie, and there were all these parodies about, you know, the Juno aesthetic like hand-drawn block letters, you know and it was warm, it was friendly all of this, you know, kind of it's a very hearkening back to, you know, like Innocent Times kind of aesthetic it was hand-drawn, it was uh, just kind of do-it-yourself kind of feel it matched the music really well. I mean, Sufjan Stevens, most of his album covers had that kind of style to them. Uh, it was, I think in design terms, the, the nineties were a very like, you know, Photoshop exists. And then every, everybody, like everybody and their parents just decides like oh we can do this we can do desktop publishing so like it was like incredibly computer special effects heavy you know just like early photoshop bevel and boss lens flare everything just a really like overdone period of time which i get nostalgic for uh but that's another episode you know just everything just like over the top use a computer for this that use a Wacom tablet blah and then on the other side of it you kind of have this reaction where like people said all right well let's try to get away from computer let's make our fonts by hand let's make sweaters by hand let's do everything by hand and and so like in those early years of hipsterism I guess you could say everything was hand done Um, and and what eventually happened was things slowly became more of a polished kind of look so by the time you get to kinfolk and these third-wave cafes and everything else like you know at first you had your indie cafe run by you know like, whatever it was, either the retired hippies or, or whatever, just you know, just people without a lot to do, and you know, just it was a place to kind of slack off. But you know, more and more, as you get into third wave coffees, coffee houses, um, you had like more of this polish. Everything was minimalist and and i 'm not deriding it don 't get me wrong, but that became more and more kind of the aesthetic. Um, there became like this kind of um, new orientalism, I guess you could say like kind of that obsession with uh, a Japanese minimalism oh it 's Zen you know, and i I'm guilty as charged, got caught up in this, of course, looking back, anybody who's ever seen or been to Japan like proper Tokyo I mean you would know that this is not the case at all it's a you know kind of a appropriation Uh, not appropriation but it's just like a misrepresentation of what actually is that's not to say there isn't like an incredible attention to detail and craftsmanship but I think uh, what happens a lot in America is that they will kind of ex- extrapolate, you know, one or two elements and say, Ah, yes, this is the whole thing. This is minimalism. This is Zen. This is blah, 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 right? So that, that was kind of feeding into this kinfolk aesthetic. Uh, I don't know what came first, the chicken or the egg, you know, whether it was minimalist cafes or kinfolk magazine. I... I think they kind of co arose with each other. And from a design standpoint, Kinfolk was a beautiful magazine. Uh, it was, and again, kind of in a reaction to Facebook and social media, I think there was this longing for a return of some kind. To this magical land where um, we were free of social media, where we did things in spaces free of computers, uh, working on crafts, making things there was a heavy emphasis on making and and so that 's why I want to be clear about you know in this kind of breakdown i 'm not negative on kinfolk. I, I think there were a lot of really good things to come out of it or a lot of ideas that are really powerful Um, but this was reflected in the design aesthetic so it was if you opened a, a copy of Kinfolk magazine it was a breath of fresh air it was printed for one it was a printed magazine in a time where everything was going you know digital Uh, it was slow you could feel this when you turn the pages how the type was set carefully there was plenty of open space on all of the pages to allow you to take it in and and really like be slow with it is it's a really good magazine to cozy up to Uh, careful selection of typefaces yada 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 at the time in the face of like the sense of like do whatever fuck it and digitalization it felt different now ironically (laughs) uh, what happened with this was maybe opposite of the intended effect you got what's known as kind of the, the kinfolk Photo, um, you know, if you've because what happened right at the same time as Kim Folk was getting popular. Was Instagram? Instagram hit. It had not yet been bought out by Facebook. But Instagram's fate was inexplicably, not, not inexplicably, um, faithfully intertwined with all of these movements. You had the Facebook aggregator. Slowly chewing up all of this like a combine harvester. Uh, And then you had this kind of, you know, digital detox thing happening as a resistance to that. And then you had Insta, which was like the personification of this commodified hipster aesthetic. It was like, yeah, your phone is a camera. Use it, be funky, take pictures of whatever. Uh, throw filter on it, it's cool. It wasn't, at the beginning, um, such a... I don't know if they envisioned it the way it is today or not, um, but it was definitely fun as a download. It didn't really have um, too much of an impact behind it. It was just like, whatever. <laughs> um, but... Beautiful photos of lattes and Instagram, for whatever reason, went hand in hand. So, if you've ever seen a nice photo of a finished wood table and a latte, you know, usually with a leaf pattern or heart, and maybe a book to go right alongside of it, and again, guilty as charged, I've taken more of those photographs than I care to admit. Uh, you know you know what i 'm talking about. This is the kinfolk aesthetic. Um, they really popularized it and put it out there, not just as um, hmm what am I trying to say well what they ended up doing with that was this kind of idea of like getting away from the digital and having that life or whatever ended up having the opposite effect. It went back into the digital and it became kind of this virtue signaling where people would say, ah, this is my life, uh, you know, and the sort of the framing of the Instagram photo as a way of saying, I have, you know, escaped from this thing or that and, you know, making your life look so perfect and i think this is where people sort of misconstrued what that magazine was trying to go for and they, they were guilty of it as well we were all guilty of it let's you know we're all but let, let the one who has not um tried to put a perfect photo of themselves on the internet through the first uh whatever dislike Um, (laughs) you know like they also were presenting this kind of life as idealized as glorified as something attainable and people really do want that I think there is something innate in us that wants to detach and disconnect from all of this weirdness that that is modern digital life Uh, but in doing so, in presenting these perfect instances of, you know, say it's the the craftsperson who is making whatever jewelry or tool or uh, thing, you know, they instilled in us this kind of weird desire to do that for ourselves too and if we're not doing that, if we are not living that perfectly uh, picturesque life, then you know <laughs> we get anxiety, flowbone right um, fear of missing out so these two things were in some ways diametric opposites, but also uh, influenced each other so much and I haven't kept up with kinfolk but i know it's no longer in publication the story behind it is fascinating there's uh, a long-form read on the uh the publishers of kinfolk how uh they were in a you know a very kinfolk-esque relationship they were married uh they were a couple out of utah mormon i believe uh or or not Uh, i don't remember um you know, they might have had a child, I think the child might have passed away, and then the husband came out as gay, they divorced, the magazine, which was their, which was their baby, uh, eventually shuttered, really heartbreaking tragedy, and I'm happy for the husband, and in a way, like, that he was able to come out and like they they had acceptance with each other but it was at the same time just unimaginably difficult and for me this kind of represents a mm, a shattering of that ideal in a way a kind of a recognition that it can't hold As much as we'd like it to, as much as we'd love to have all of these perfect latte shots and uh, perfect jobs as whatever it is, artisanal horseshoe makers, uh, you know, it's unsustainable. Unsustainable in the sense that uh, we don't live in a system that supports... uh, that reality for so few people it's different than that and it's it's hard to accept Uh, especially now Mm. but that I think is it's both a cautionary tale and very fascinating to me as a kind of a mix of all of these different areas of culture that I'm interested in. Um, and I i wonder if, if it's not finished yet. I do feel like it was sort of co-opted, definitely. But I, I also wonder if it's not a little premature to say... You know, that this sense of trying to build towards minimalism, lesser impact on the environment, um, and more of a quiet, slow-paced life, I wonder if it's too soon to give up on that. So I think I'll end it with that as an open-ended question. Wow, Uh, if you've made it this far, thank you for hanging in there with me. And, And thank you for your patience too. I know it's probably... Not easy to like sit through some of this as I as I work through like you know some of the difficulties of knowing how to say something, how to express something. But you know, all, all I can really say um, is how mm, for for me this is. You know this is a therapy this is a process of uh, kind of uncovering uh, the way I look at the world for better and worse really you know because if it's all in if all if it's all just in my head and just in my thoughts um, then I don't I don't really know what I have to what I have to work with what biases I have and um, you know, even prejudices and all these, all these things, and also the good stuff as well. You know, all like, what what did I take away from these pieces of culture as I was growing up? You know, what's what's good and what's bad from it? Uh, it's it's a process for me, and to use you know some of that good old fashioned hipster labeling, it's it's an organic process. So yeah, if if you're still with me, um you know, and and you've got something out of this, then then thank you. And you know, uh I appreciate it. <laughs> um so yeah, uh, I hope I can continue to like uh keep keep digging and uncovering new stuff along the way. And if it resonates with you and you feel like continuing to listen and i'm happy for you as well okay so that's going to do it for me thank you for tuning in take care until next time